to go with your gut, to trust your intuition, right? For me, 10 years ago, if I had known that I had the power or the the right or that I was worthy enough to act on what I thought I should do rather than what I felt I should do or what was expected of me, I would have been able to start this journey of growth so much sooner because it's only recently that I've been able to really look at my life and say, what do, what do I want and why am I not doing that thing, right? Yes, And yes. taking other people out of the equation, other people's opinions out of the equation. Of course, everything I'm going to do is for my highest good and the highest good of my family and my community. I'm not ever doing something to harm or hurt or injure anyone else. That's, I don't think any of us are built that way. I think that it's okay to do things, you know, to follow your dreams or to do things in a way that feels right for you and to say no to things that aren't in alignment with how you want your life to be and to be able to recognize that it's okay to change your mind through the process. Welcome to today's episode of Unleash Thyself. I am your host, Constantine Moron, and today's guest is Jill Wright. Jill is a speaker, podcaster, writer, and founder of Grow Like a Mother. She combines time ownership, goal achievement, mindset work, intuition, spirituality, and self-development techniques to support high-achieving individuals to rediscover themselves and find alignment with their purpose. So, prepare yourself for an unforgettable conversation that's sure to leave a lasting impression. Welcome back to Unleash Thyself, the podcast that inspires and empowers you to unleash your full potential. I am thrilled to welcome Jill right to the show. Jill, we can't wait to hear more about the experience and insights that have led you to where you are today. And your unleashed moment, the moment you knew you are on your path to becoming the best version of yourself. Jill, over to you. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. I can start by giving the audience a brief introduction of who I am and sort of how I came to be doing what I'm doing today. So my my story is, I think, kind of a typical one in terms of seeing big changes when I started the journey into motherhood. And as any mother knows, or anyone who has experienced with a loved one who's close to them, the the birthing of a baby is a birthing of a mother also. And so for me, that really put into stark perspective, of course, the small baby's needs, but also the fact that I didn't remember after a time who I was in that. I lost all sense of my own self in the role of motherhood. And it wasn't really even until I had my second child that I really realized this because you're all consumed in the beginning, right? But as I had my second baby, the pandemic was, you know, just around the corner. My eldest son got diagnosed with autism. I was trying to start a business, suffering really badly with postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD. And everything kind of hit me all at once. It felt like that anyways, even though looking back, it was quite a slow burn. So <laughs> I had sort of my, my rock bottom moment during that time in and around May 2020. And that spurred me with the realization that I had to take control of what I could control because so much was, was out of my control at that time. I felt like I had lost control of almost everything. The external circumstances were unchangeable. Couldn't get rid of the kids. Couldn't get rid of the pandemic, you know? 
so I really dove deep into personal development. And it started with podcasts on the way to and from my son's therapies. And it it sort of blossomed into books and YouTube videos and eventually a a full-blown business that is what I do now and that I take this personal development work, the tactics, the tools that I learn as I continue to learn and grow, and I package them in the way that is accessible for mothers who are still in the thick of it and who want an easy place to start to find themselves again. Wow, that's a beautiful story, Rachel. Thank you so much for sharing such a vulnerable moment in your life. And let me ask you this. When you started researching and listening to podcasts and books, when did you realize that there was finally a shift happening within your own mentality and realizing, you know what, I can take control of my own situation and I can make these changes and not worry about the things I can't control as much? It's a great question. I'm not sure if there was any particular moment that I can pinpoint. I think it all, probably at some point, I looked back and just realized that I had done it. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I was so in it that there was just this slow movement towards personal autonomy, you know, and taking sovereignty over my life. And so small steps for sure is how I did it. And I would see, I would have like a, a desire then I would make it happen. I would see the result. I would take an action. I would see the result. Then it reinforced my belief that I could take control. And then I'd get more excited and I'd have another thought and take action, see the result, enforce the belief. And it sort of went in that cyclical pattern for me. Exactly. So it's, it built on each other, essentially, right? You would take a small step. And it's almost like the idea of manifesting your dreams, right? Because you you had a small goal, right? So let's say that's called a small dream. But then you took the action. You didn't just wait for the universe or whoever else to, to make it happen for you. You mm. took the action. And sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's exactly right. And I'm actually, I'm hosting a, a mom group tonight for all about manifesting. And I'm going to be talking about all of that on how like you have to take the action to get the stuff you want. That was a key realization for me is that you got to put in the work, you know? So what, So let's talk about manifesting a bit more because it's something I'm very you know, interested in, I'm also familiar with it from my own life. And I also, like you, had a realization where like, just because you want something doesn't mean, you know, it's going to just happen in your life. You know, sometimes you get lucky, things will fall in your lap, but you always have to do some sort of work, right? Sometimes more, sometimes less, but there's always something that you have to put in. When you're thinking about manifesting, and let's see, you know, let's take this conversation we'll have tonight. What other aha moments realizations have you had with the idea of, you know, goal setting and manifesting your dreams? Often they'll come after the fact when I have the thing and I look back and I realize, oh, I manifested that thing. For example, when I was it's probably about a year and a half ago, I was wanting a home office and I kept dreaming of this home office and I would picture it in my head and I was just a space for myself away from the kids to be able to record podcasts and create my content and all of that. And, uh, and it was something that I always wanted, but wasn't top of mind, you know? I just kept doing my work from the kitchen table and and that was fine. And then one day I came home, it was right before Christmas and my husband had had contractors in and created a room in the basement for me that was an office without me asking. And it just sort of appeared for me one day, which was really cool. Uh, Yeah. And another example in the early days of, of how things are just sort of like falling synchronicities, right? Is when you're in business, you're often told to describe your, your ideal client in so much detail down to their name. And I went through this exercise and my ideal client's name was Jessica, right? And 
as it turned out, as I went through and really started to put myself out there, what I found was I had this time management challenge that I did and somebody won it and won a a session, one-on-one coaching session with me. And the person who won, her name was Jessica. And that was my first real, real exposure to one-on-one coaching in that capacity. So just keeping your eye out for these things. It doesn't have to be huge, right? Just small examples. It's really fun. Yeah. Then like you said earlier, it builds on itself, right? Because now you get more belief in yourself. You get more belief in, let's say, the universe around you and people around you too. Because as you change yourself, as you go through the self-discovery and you you improve yourself, everyone around you will will feel that energy and will, will see you. So then they will likely take something from it, right? Even if it's just a seed that may germinate later or it's something they can apply right away in their life. So speaking about, let's say, the session you do tonight, your coaching, your coaching business, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing mothers face that are fairly common? Like I would imagine that's very similar to what you went through, but maybe there's others that you, you found while talking to them. Oh my gosh, yeah. There's sort of three big common things that I, that I find in the, the women I work with. The first is a lack of time management and sort of control over their schedules. They they need or they're looking for a way to fit more in or cut things out or to really just get a rein on how they spend their days because they feel like it's just, you know, carried away before they even start. Yes. The time management is a big challenge that I see in a struggle. The second thing is mom guilt with, I mean, this can go into all directions, but a lot of working mom guilt, moms who feel guilty at work and then feel guilty when they're home because they're not thinking about work and and that constant battle and tug of war between home life and work life if you are a working mom. And the third thing is just a lack of understanding of who they are. They've lost the essence of themselves. Yeah. Those are the three big ones. And the, the, the last one resonates with the story you, you told at the beginning, right? What you've gone through. How about the first two? Have you ever gone through similar things as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Time management is always something that I've been pretty passionate about. And I did a lot of research in different ways that we can manage time. And there's so many different options and there are good ways for different types of personalities and good ways for different types of schedules. And so it really depends on how your brain works, but also where your free time lies on how you manage it. So I've gotten a very good sort of holistic idea, which allows me to help everyone in a unique way. I've sort of got this giant toolbox and not everything's going to work for everyone, but I've amassed it over years of personal research. And then mom guilt is something that is insidious in that you don't realize you've got it, but it always does. Most moms, I don't know any moms personally who haven't experienced it. And one or two, if they haven't experienced mom guilt, they feel guilty for not feeling guilty. Like it's almost this like a rite of passage that we tell ourselves we need to feel guilty or it's normal to feel guilty or we can't get rid of this guilt, but we totally can, you know, like we just need to reframe it. So yeah, I went through that in a big way as well. If, okay. I, I can imagine that I'm not someone that has children yet, but the guilt I can relate slightly. I have dogs. So when I put them in the crates, let's to come down and do an interview. I feel a bit of guilt. I'm like, ah, oh, but they're going to be alone in the crates. Or let's say if I want to go out for a longer period of time, I'm like, oh, they'll be alone at home and I could be spending time with them or walking them. So I can only imagine what a mother and a father eventually will go through when they have to do things that, you know, for themselves even, right? Like not even something that's mandatory like work or chores. It's more like 
taking time out of your day to go enjoy a spa or to go watch a game or whatever the case might be. So I know you specialize in that as well. Like, have you seen, like, how have you seen mothers and people you talk to shift their mentality when it comes to taking time for themselves and taking and finding that time and then not feeling guilty about using it? Yeah, it's a two-step process, really. The first one is I like to take people through a calendar audit and understand, first of all, what's your reality? Where is your time being spent? And then the next step of that process, once you've identified like what's actually happening, because we, we think we know, right? It's like our finances. <laughs> like We have a vague idea of what's happening, but unless you dig in exactly. and look at the data, you don't actually know. So once we've identified what's actually happening and where they're actually spending their time, then it's all about the internal work, right? We look at their values and we say, are you spending time on the things that you're saying are important to you or not? And most often it's not, you know, um, people will say their values are like rest and family time and travel and whatever these things are. But then you look at their calendar and they haven't scheduled that in for themselves. So it's reconciling that. But the biggest piece is the mindset. We have to start there to eliminate the guilt, right? We have to understand and really change our subconscious programming to say, I am allowed to take time to do this for myself, right? Oh, yeah, I remember. I love reading. It's okay for me to spend half an hour of my day reading once in a while. No one's going to die, you know? Like, it's a complete shift, and it takes a lot of work, especially for moms, to really feel confident enough to see their behavior change without the guilt. It's a practice. It's a practice. Like everything yeah. else. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. And when it comes to this challenge in particular, are you seeing, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you have a tool set that you're using, right? Different tools for different people. But when do you see mothers have their aha moments? Like you said, during the first conversations and you go to this explanation, or is it more like when they start actually doing it and seeing what's there and be seeing the value that the changes can make in, in their own routine? Yeah, usually there's like a little nugget in the original conversation or when they listen to a podcast or attend a workshop, there's a nugget that'll that'll inspire them to start. And then they'll just go with that one little thing because it's scary to change too much at once. Yes. But the real aha comes when they do the thing and it was okay. They hire the babysitter. The world didn't fall apart, right? The world didn't fall apart. Kid is still alive, yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, they took you know, their neighbor or their mother or their husband up on the offer for some free time and they went out and did something and they came home and the house was still standing. It hadn't burned down. You know, the kids didn't even know they were gone because they were having so much fun with the caregiver who loves them and wants to spend the time with them. So it's those moments like, oh, okay, this worked. And I can continue doing this in small doses and then it grows, you know, and the intention is never to take your whole life and change it. It's just to feel more comfortable with you in the center of your life because everyone should be in the center of their own life, right? That's so well said. And it sounds like it's almost like the idea of being you, like, like allowing you to be you and not give your power away to all these different scenarios that you have no control over and just taking control of that time management, self-time, self-love, right? And, and practicing that. Mm -hmm. I, really, I really love how you, you explain that. Let me ask you this, right? I mean, we're talking about mothers here, but what can their partner, a father or a second mother do in this case? Like what can they do to support? You touched on the caregiver piece, right? So they could technically help with taking care of the child for X amount of time so the mother can enjoy some time off. But what else can someone in that role do? 
I love that you're asking this because it's something that is sort of glossed over and not talked about. So I'm really eager to dive into this a little bit with you. There's a couple things, right? And it depends on the circumstances. But of course, the first one is to be aware that there's perhaps a struggle happening, right? A lot of moms aren't either they'll they'll try to martyr themselves and be super mom and keep it all in and keep it together because they feel like they have to or like me they're silently drowning but and they think it's evident but the people around them did, didn't see it yes. right so it, even if you think the the mother in your life has it all together and is doing fine it's maybe just even approaching the conversation like hey how are you doing like is there what's your struggle right now like what is your challenge is there somewhere I can help, right? And in that, as you get them to sort of open up and say, actually, yeah, I'm super tired. I need some sleep. Or I'd really just like to go to the grocery store without a kid climbing on my leg or like whatever it is for them, big or small. Then you can start to say things like, instead of, well, let me know how I can help, right? The mom doesn't always know. She just knows she needs some help. And once you've given her the opportunity to say, I need some help, because it's hard for us to say that, then you come in with specific ways that you can be of help, right? Can I bring you dinner Tuesday night? Would you like me to babysit for an hour on Sunday afternoon so you can do whatever? Would it be helpful for me to come and clean your house for you? Whatever it is that you feel comfortable doing, is it mowing the lawn? You know, is it shoveling some snow if you're up here like where we are with a bunch of snow, right? Give something specific because then that mom can either say, yeah, that'd be amazing or no, but could you do this? And it might inspire her for something else that she might need. And I think for the most part, moms, at least the moms that I'm working with, when they do get that opportunity, so first we've identified that they need help and told them that that's okay. Then we've given them a specific option on how we can help. Most times that's going to include time for the mom to be by herself doing what she wants but then we, that mom during that moment is worried about you, the caregiver, or whoever's looking after the kid. Mm-hmm. Are they okay? Do they know where the diapers are? What if the kid cries? How is my caregiver going to be? Is everything going to be okay for them, right? So it's reassuring the mom that when she does take that time finally and take you up on your offer, that you're good. You're cool. Like you don't need to be worried about. You've got this. Even if you don't know if you do, you know, like, no, no. Give her that peace of mind so that she can actually enjoy the things she's doing because that's going to be where she sees that, aha, nothing happened. I wasn't worried. I took some time and then it can come back. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I love your answer there. And, uh, you know, I, again, I'm not, I, I have people in my life that have kids and I can do a lot of what you said, which I haven't done before, right? And that's something that what I can, I can jump in and, and offer some help. But I can also relate that to other type of relationships, right? Let's expand beyond the mother dynamic in the workplace. If someone, you see someone struggling at work or maybe they're more quiet than usual, it's like reaching out to them and say, hey, are you okay? Do you want to talk? Can I do anything to help you? And I love that the way you describe it because it's essentially, it's like anything else in life. Just because someone is a mother doesn't mean that they have to be treated like a different type of human. They're all, at the end of the day, everyone is a human being and we can have this type of relationship across the board. So if we learn how to do it in one aspect, we can then take it across the board, right? With mothers, with fathers, with coworkers, with friends and everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I really like that approach that, that you suggested. What are some, so we talked about, you know, things to do, right? Like the mothers or those that are helping them out, but how about some things that we should 
be mindful of that maybe we're doing unconsciously that may be harming this entire process that we talked mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. I know that one thing that can be a big frustration for anyone, you know, mother, father, or any partner in a relationship who handles the lion's share of the responsibilities or the workload at home, because we all know it's not 50-50 at any point in time, and it might be 80-20 and then 70-30 or like back and forth, back and forth. But a big frustration that I see for when the person is in that high workload scenario is that they're looking for help, but they don't want to have to say, can you do this? You know, like if you're the partner who you notice that you've been having to work more or maybe you're injured or you haven't, you know, if you're in the situation where you're not the the heavy lifter in the relationship at that moment, being able to take initiative and do something without being asked can be huge, right? And again, that's not just for mothers or fathers or husbands or wives, but whatever, right? It can be parents and kids too. It can be anyone. It could be at work, like you suggested to expand these ideas. Being able to say, oh, I see that that floor is dirty. I'll just sweep it rather than, you know, the person who's doing the bulk of the work having to say to you or or passive aggressively just getting mad about it and not saying something. We see that and that can cause big problems, right? I think initiative and just sort of being aware of what is required to um, to make whatever ship sail, make the household run, make the whatever, being aware is helpful. I really like the way you phrase it as well, because I can relate. I was someone that would be passive aggressive in, at times in the past, right? And would be like, well, it's not my job, right? We, we divided and conquered this list. And now she's not doing this or they're not doing this. And it's all of a sudden it creates this dynamic where no one is happy, right? And communication falls, falls apart. So I had this aha moment the last couple of years. And it's like the way I see it as well to build on what you said is think of it this way. If let's say I go upstairs and I see a plate on the table, not in the sink, and I'm getting upset about it. Well, it's because it bothers me, not necessarily because it bothers my partner. My partner put it there for a reason. It doesn't bother her. But now I can take the initiative and say, you know what? I'll put it in the sink. Or maybe I'll take it a step further, I'll put it in the sink and I'll wash it. And it's just those small mindset shifts that I saw work for me because all of a sudden it's creating less friction between us, right? It's creating less opportunity for friction as well. And to your point, it's providing help without having to be asked for help because people can be drowning and you don't realize it. That, that was a huge aha moment for me, both in my professional life as well as my personal life. It's like, Everyone is going through things in life. You have this much of the story. Even for someone close to you, you probably have maybe this much of the story. And then you start making assumptions. You start making judgments. So let's take a step back and see where we can just be kinder, show more love, more compassion, more empathy. So I really like the message you send there as well. Yeah. And I just want to shine a light on something you said that I think is really, really valuable in that you recognize that what was important to you wasn't necessarily important to the other person. And I think that that shows up also in relationships, just to sort of take us on a tangent real quick, with the the way that we show our love often is the way that we want to be shown love, you know? Like if if I'm really into, I don't know, if if my love language is acts of service and I'm doing all the things and cleaning the house and doing, but the person that I'm doing that for, quote unquote for, that I love, and that is my way of showing love, they don't necessarily say, oh, that's so, 
wonderful that Jill is showing me love in that way because that's maybe not their love language. So they don't even notice their love language could be gifts. And so they're like, oh, Jill never, never buys me anything. She must not love me. But for me, I don't even think about that because that's not my love language, right? And so maybe they buy you a whole bunch of gifts because they want the gifts. And so just being aware of with whatever relationship you're in, colleagues, bosses, friends, partners, mother, child, whatever, the way that they're acting, pay attention to that because that's often what they need back, right? Mm. Super cool to when you realize that. That's really, yeah, that's really interesting. I never actually thought about it that way. So that's a really good way to see it. Yeah. And I would I would add that, for example, if someone has been doing things for a long time, like like you said, an act of service, you you at least I saw it in my case, I started to take it for granted after a while. Mm. Right. So you no longer see it as an act of service, it's more like, oh, well, that was her duty. So it, it continues the way. So I think it's just also taking a step back and always Realizing that just because someone is doing something for a year or two or three and they've always been doing it, like they can still be shown gratitude for what they're doing and be thanked for it. Because at the end of the day, it's like a choice. Like everything we do is a choice. Now, sometimes you may feel like it's not, but at the end of the day, if you really think about it, everything that we do is a choice and we can decide that we want to continue doing those chores or not, or the acts of service, like, or whatever else might be the case. Yeah, 100%. So going back to, you're talking a bit about the, the beginning around intuition and following your inner voice a bit, like when you started reading the podcast, listening to the podcast, reading books and whatnot. Let's touch a bit more on that. Like when you, when you talk, when you mention, you know, you want, you want to listen to your intuition and you want to follow your inner voice, what, how does it manifest for you? How does it show for you? Hmm. For me, two really clear ways that I pay attention to from my intuition, but there are many others. And so I'll touch on those in a sec, but I'll share with you the ones that are important for me. And we've all kind of heard of clairvoyance, right? And that term we sort of associate with like psychics and mediums and things like that. But clairvoyance is actually a way of your body, of your intuition speaking to you. It's just in the form of like a visual. There's other clairs. So clairaudient is one and clairsentient is feeling. So I have clairsentient intuition. So for me, what that means is I get goosebumps a lot if I know something feels right for me and I don't necessarily have a clear physical yet. I'm working on it for a, like a no, other than like that pit of your stomach that we all listen to and, or know what that is. If we instantly feel like afraid of someone we meet or uneasy, that is a clairsentient intuition, but goosebumps, I always, always get goosebumps if it's something that feels like truth for me. And the other piece of intuition that I have is clear cognizance. So that's clear knowing. So those are the the pieces of information that all of a sudden just feel like they downloaded in your head and mm. you just know something big or small could be like, oh, you know, the light's going to turn red. I better slow down. doesn't have to be a big thing. But if you're looking for small examples of things like this and paying attention, you'll start to be able to sort of build the muscle. Each of us have, just like our five senses, all these these intuition senses are different and some of us are stronger in different areas. But for me, I, I've noticed and I've been able to sort of hone the skill of clear sentience and clear cognizance. So it's it's pretty cool the way that your body can talk to you. I really like that as well because I've never heard of the, a couple of those terms, like clear cognizance. It's actually fairly new to me and I, it resonates because that, that's how I am as well. And two things happened to me once I began my journey into self-discovery and personal growth. And we started a while ago, but I really started paying attention after, I would say I came back from my retreat in Ecuador last year around this time. 
is the idea of synchronicities, and you touched on that earlier, the idea that things happen in your life and you can push them off as coincidences or look and see if there's more meaning behind them as a synchronicity. But the idea of a download, for me, is something that I always had ideas and things come to my mind, but I would, I would ignore them for the most part. And that was me in the past. And then last year, I, I made a more conscious effort. You know what? I'm going to be more in the moment. I'm going to pay attention to what's coming and I'm going to maybe act on it or build on it. And I can tell you it's made a world of difference. Mm-hmm. And it's unbelievable once you really pay attention. And I think that's, I think with the distractions that we have in this world, that's the biggest problem that most people face because I saw myself doing this and people around me is that we have too many distractions so that we can really pay attention to ourselves. Yeah. So two things on that. I have this book here that I always carry with me and I literally write down my downloads so I don't forget them. Just quick, just write it down. And every once in a while, I'll just go through it. I don't force myself to really dive into each one right then, but I don't want to lose it. I don't know if you find that. Like if you don't write it down, it might be gone. So I always recommend that or like a notes app on your phone, just like write it down, you know, and then you can come back to it later and think on it and whatever. So that's pretty cool. And now I've just forgotten the other thing that I was going to touch on. But it's okay. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second. I was going to say with, with a book, I actually, yeah, I, I have my phone me all the time. So I was actually trying to fall asleep last night. And that's when a lot of my down, downloads come up because I have a chance to meditate. I have a chance to just be peaceful. And then all of a sudden these ideas come and I'm like, where are they coming from? And it happened a few times where I'll be cognizant of it, but then by the morning I'll either forget part of it, the details or the entire idea. So what I do now is literally last night I got up, opened my phone, wrote it down in my, in my, in my, notes app and boom it not only allows me to remember it the next day better which i do because i wrote it down but also now i have it written just in case i forget it and there's a reason that that happens to you at night is that your brain is quiet so i just wrote that down that's the other thing that i was going to say is that there's you touched on that there's so much noise right and distraction and that's the reason that we don't hear the intuition because for me intuition is the highest truth of whatever is true for you, right? We all have it. It's not something you have to find or look for. It's already there. But because intuition is truth, it doesn't need to scream at you to be heard because it doesn't need to prove itself. It knows. It knows it's right, right? (laughs) Whereas all of the noise in our head and all of our thoughts and all of our ego and all of the distractions, and that is noisy stuff because that wants us to listen to it, right? So the way that we can really get good at practicing listening to our intuition is by getting quiet, whether that's in the wake or sleep states, like those 15 minutes after you wake up and before you go to bed, your brain waves are at a different you know, frequency. Whether it's for me, I get such good downloads in the shower. You know, I'm just there. It's quiet. I'm doing my thing and boom, 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 boom. Everything comes in. So I wish I could have my phone in the shower. So I try to think of everything. Or when you're walking in nature, you know, it's those times that you can really get quiet you don't have to sit and meditate. Our lives don't have time for that all the time. It's a wonderful thing to do if you can, but there's no reason that you can't still practice this if you have a busy life. You know, it could be driving in the car, turn the radio off. You know, we don't need noise all the time. And if we create that space for intuition to talk to us, it's going to come quicker and it's going to be louder and you're going to learn to listen for it. Yes, 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 100%. And of course, with modern life, all the distractions, right, make it so easy to always have something in the background, always multitasking, right? Always doing something. So, but like you said, the beautiful thing is when you go to bed, I mean, the chances are you're not going to instantly fall asleep. So you can give yourself that permission to 
pay attention, right? And actually pay attention because in the past, for example, in my case, I'll go to bed, I'll have those thoughts, but I would just not pay attention and be like, mm-hmm. hey, just a thought. And then I would try to switch it up to something else. Right? This allow it, allow the conversation, allow to see what you've, you know, what, what it's coming through to you. Now, when it comes to nature, that's something that I resonate with really well because I like to take my dogs on walks. And it's especially powerful when I go through a forest or a wooded area when it's just just quiet. And I mean, not necessarily quiet because you hear the birds and you hear the, the leaves, but it's quiet in the sense of the noise of the world, right? Because you, you now are in nature. And I also see that with my case, it's not meditation, but just watching my dogs, how they don't care about the past or the future. They care about what they're doing in the moment. And there was a huge lesson I learned last year and into this year is the idea of just stopping to smell the grass, right? To smell the flowers and just giving yourself the permission to, to do something for yourself that doesn't need to be advertised to anyone else. It's just for you, right? And it's those, in those moments, I also find that I get you know, downloads or messages or ideas. Let's put them like that, ideas, right? Because for some people, that's what they are. But I really resonate with everything you've said. And the walks and the, the, the going to bed, I mean, most people will do at least one of those two things. Yeah. And driving is another one that most people will do in the every almost every day or at least a few days a week. And I think what you touched on earlier, which resonates here as well, is the idea that everything is a practice, right? You can't just expect that you're gonna be an expert and you're gonna have these amazing messages coming through you within minutes, right? Of you starting doing this and it's gonna be perfect all the time. You have to practice it, right? Because it's a and so that's a skill, but it's more like a a different way of listening, right? It's a different way of doing things that you're not used to doing. Exactly. It's something that we all have the capacity to do, but it's like when you're learning to walk, like you have the capacity to do it, but you're not going to start running right away, right? When you're ready, you take these small steps and then you learn to like go without help. And and it's the same idea, but oftentimes what happens is that people, they give up on themselves because it's not quick, right? They don't see that instant success, the instant gratification and feedback. And it's a long-term game. Anything personal development is a long-term game. So I always like to bring it back to that. Like imagine you gave up walking because you sucked at it in the beginning. Like you have to give yourself a chance to live into your potential and realize that there's going to be that part that sucks because you're going to be bad at it in the beginning because you've never done it before. None of us pick up a guitar and expect to be able to play like Zeppelin because we've never done it before. Why would we expect that of ourselves? So I try to remind people the same thing. If you've never managed your calendar before, or if you've you've never even thought how you could live without guilt, or if you've never taken the time to meditate, what makes you think you're going to be great at it? You're not, you know? It takes time. It takes practice. And that's the work. People always talk about like, quote, the work. That's it. It's exactly it. That's it. That's all it is. Doing the thing. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like, it leads back to our initial conversation on manifesting, right? Like that's really how you manifest. It's not like things are just going to happen because you want them to happen. They're going to happen because you put in the work, you'll fail, you'll fall, but then guess what? Learn, you learn from it and you move on. And that's the idea of the growth mindset, which when I, when I joined the, the organization I work with right now, there was a big lesson I learned because before joining the six years ago, I didn't even know what growth mindset was. And I was always the idea that if you made a mistake, oof, you better hide it because, you know, you're going to be judged for it. And now it's more the idea, okay, you make mistakes, part of life, learn from them if you can, and then keep trying. 
And the example you gave with walking is so, so touching for me because if you think about someone learning to walk, a child, they I don't believe that they know the concept of failure, right? In their mind, failure is not an option, like in the sense of like, oh, I'm going to not walk ever. It's more like this has to be done and now I'm going to fall and I'm going to fall and I'm going to fall, but then I'm going to get better at it and I'm going to be amazing. So it's almost the idea that we have to bring back to our other lives and be like, hey, can we look at this as we're going to fall along the way, but we want to accept failure? And that might change our mindset in many different areas. Big time. If you can think that your success in whatever you're trying to do is inevitable, it's going to happen if you stick with it. The only way you fail is if you give up. And if you can put that mindset spin on it, you, you can accomplish whatever. There's no way you fail because you're not giving up. That's it. Yeah. And that's the idea of, you know, like I believe you were mentioning this mindset, shifting your mindset for growth and abundance. Because now once you shift it, growth will come out of it naturally and abundance will follow just simply because you're doing better than you did before in whatever area. And abundance doesn't necessarily mean dollars, right? It can mean happiness, satisfaction, doing things faster, more efficiently, whatever the case might be. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. So if we go back to the idea of you, the podcast you're at, right? I think it's called Grow Like a Mother, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yeah. And what, I mean, you've done quite a few episodes on it and the reviews are amazing. It sounds like you have a lot of beautiful conversations on the show. What were some of your biggest aha moments from doing the podcast? Mm, the podcast has been so fun. I've been at it just over a year and I have a combination of solo episodes and guest interviews And both are really enlightening for me because what will often happen if I start a solo episode, sometimes I'll have an idea and like an outline of what I want to cover. But every time as I get there and I just start talking, it's just me and the microphone and things come out that I didn't even know were inside, right? (laughs) And that is so beautiful to me because it's like your, your soul's way of just like, if you're not thinking about it, it's like when you journal too. If you ever do that with just pen and paper with no expectations, you just like free form write. Things come out of you that you didn't even know were there that are like, oh, right, that makes so much sense. Or I understand this part of me now that I've had this realization. So for me, that's really cool. It's just a verbal expression brings me aha moments. But there's also, I learned something from each and every guest, you know, and I interview guests on all kinds of topics, like you name it, I've had them. It's it's within the realm of motherhood and growth and development and spirituality. So there's been a lot of topics of conversation, but no matter who I'm talking to, and I know like I've done a lot of work, so I know a lot of things already, but even still I'm learning every time I have these conversations and that's the best part for me. Yes, and I can 100% listen with that because that was my biggest aha moment. I've actually started doing interviews about two weeks ago. Well, conversations, really, not interviews. Conversations. And was it like a few days ago, I had this aha moment after a beautiful conversation where I was like, you know what? Even if no one listens to this podcast, the value I got from just yeah. every single conversation so far has been worth all the time and money and resources that I put into this. And it's I'm just the realization that when you talk to someone, you can always be open-minded. You can always learn something new or a different perspective perspective even, right? Because for me, it's like, even when, you know, you're talking about the cognizance component, right? Like that's something I've never thought of it that way, right? And it has a term that now I can look it up and I can maybe gather some tools and tips on how to even do get even more out of my own intuition, right? 
Yeah. So just small things like that sometimes come up. And then the second part we touched on at the beginning is the idea of seeds being planted in our minds, but also in the minds of the listeners and also the guests that's coming on because all of a sudden they, they may not blossom today or tomorrow or the week after, but down the road when other pieces connect, all of a sudden you have these, this information you can rely on and these ideas that you can put into play. Yeah, it's amazing because you need to hear something sometimes a bunch of times. You know, I found that as I as I was going through my journey in the early in the early times and even now, like there are so many mentors and people that I listen to, thought leaders, that all talk about the same kind of stuff. But often it's like a layer, like I need to hear this person talk about it in this way, and this person talk about it in this way, and then finally it hits. But when it hits, I'm like, oh, but I have all of this background. So it really just hits and it downloads and it just feels, oh, I know this now. You, you know, some, sometimes it. people need to hear things a bunch of times, which is why I love podcasts because it's easy to tune into like 10 or 20 podcasts and you can have a variety of people that you listen to and they might all be talking about the same thing, but it's that one moment and it'll be different for everyone, yeah. but it just builds. And I love that. Well, it touches on the same topic we talked earlier, the, the idea of tools and not every tool works for everyone. Yeah. And I, I see it the same way with ideas, right? I could explain an idea to you and you could get it right away. And I could explain the same idea to a friend of mine and they may be like, okay, it makes sense, but not really. And then they go and listen to someone else and they explain it a different way. It's the same idea, but a different way. And now all of a sudden it clicks. Yeah. So I, I think that's that's really powerful because... Yeah, sometimes you need to hear the same message multiple times. And it's also because I would imagine we may not be ready to receive a certain message at a certain time. We may need to do a bit more work, maybe collect some more pieces of the puzzle, and then this piece of information fits in. Yes, I love that visualization. Absolutely. So I want to touch on a, on a topic that we haven't really discussed yet, which is the idea of gratitude and being grateful and, well, showing that in different ways. What's your take on, on practicing gratitude? Two different ways that I really love. And depending on where I'm at in my life, I lean on both. The first one that I started with is like a gratitude practice in a more formal way, whether it be journaling or just like at the end of the night going through, you know, X number, you choose the number that's right for you of things that you were grateful for that day and really just taking time to think on them and feel that gratitude again for that moment. I think that's really powerful to experience that emotion again and hold the space for that gratitude mm -hmm. uh, because then it puts you in the mind frame. If you're, if you know, you're going to do that at the end of each day, you're going to go through life looking for those moments, right? So you're going to find more of them because your reticular activating system is like, this is what she wants. Cool. I'm going to show this to her, right? Cause that's what his job is, is to filter all of the noise from the world and show you what you're telling your brain is important to you. And so I did that for a while and then I started to find that there were so many moments I was finding throughout the day that I would just stop and experience gratitude for that thing right there. Oh, and I would feel it then. So then I didn't feel the need to do it at the end of the day. You know, sometimes that felt restrictive for me, depending on what cycle my kids were at or whatever. Sometimes I'd be too tired or, and you know, you should do it, but then that leads to guilt. And you just, there's no point in doing anything you think you quote should do if you're guilty about it. Cause yes. that's the purpose. But those sort of mini moments of gratitude throughout the day, I found that really powerful. So that's kind of where I'm at now in my, my gratitude practice. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. Absolutely. In my case, I, I, I have started doing it more in the mornings because I found that it sets up my day 
in a more positive way. Because if I start with what I am thankful for or grateful for, then regardless of what they bring in a work or otherwise, I have a better outlook on life. But it sounds like at night is also a potential tool for someone because like you said, it reinforces the idea, you know what, no matter how bad the day was, there's, there are still small things you could be grateful for. Even as simple as the pillow you sleep on, right? Or the comfy bed or the food you had today. Yeah. The beautiful thing about gratitude is that it doesn't matter. You can't do it wrong. You know, whatever yeah. works for you is the right way. And that's exactly. the thing I love about it. Yeah. And another thing I started trying myself more recently is showing gratitude to others. Mm-hmm. And what I realized, the biggest moment for me there was, and it's looking back, I'm like, wow, I should have known that, is the idea that I'm reaching out to a colleague or a friend and I'm thanking them for their help and I'm really highlighting how they helped me and the impact they had. And then it makes me feel good. And then it makes them feel good. So it's like a win-win. There's like no losing in that exchange. Yeah. And, and it'll it increases the bond. It does. And I bet you're finding that people are now being more open with their gratitude towards you. Yes. I find that a lot. I'm, I'm very open about this with my kids. I say thank you to them all the time. And I find now that they're a bit older, I mean, they're still young, they're three and five, but they're, oh, mommy, thank you. Thank you. They, they're not just saying yeah. please and thank you because they think it's the right thing to do. Like they yeah. actually, when they feel thankful for something, they say it out loud. And I think what a beautiful trait to instill early. If we could all just be that way, imagine, right? Imagine the world. Oh, that, that would be an amazing world to be in. And you're right on one thing, right? They don't just say because they have to. And that I feel a lot of us in society do. And I've caught myself doing that all the time in the past, saying thank you because it's a nice thing to do, but not necessarily because you truly mean it or you truly value whatever that person is doing for you, be it a server at a restaurant or a colleague or a friend. Yeah. And yeah. So in that case, less is more too, right? Like maybe you say less often, but with more intent, more purpose behind what you say. Right. And how you say it, of course. Yeah. I really like that. (laughs) And do you find that with gratitude, like when you're doing the coaching or the sessions with the women that come to you, is there something that you cover early on? Is there something that you see that if they apply early in their path to change is something that provides compounded interest, so to speak, or compounded effects? Or are there more important things to focus on right away that you cover on that we touched on earlier? It's a good question. And I think it really varies for each person. I think the most, from my perspective and the sort of the method that I use is the most important thing is always mindset. So that is where I start always. But within that mindset, gratitude could be a key component because if someone is really struggling with, let's say, um, the postpartum, postpartum body, right? As moms, we change when we have kids. Of course we yeah. do, right? But that can be a big mental shift. If you're someone like me who never had to worry, you, you were just always, you know, fine. You never worried about your body. All of a sudden now it looks different. But if you can sort of feel grateful for what that body has done for you, and even just within a day, like these legs mm-hmm. took me you know, all the way down the block with my kids as I watch them bicycle or, you know, could lift up my baby to my armor, like nurse my whatever. Your body does so many amazing things for you. So if you can feel grateful for that body instead of hating it and feeling shame around it and beating yourself up and that negative self-talk, gratitude is a really great way to get out of a negative mindset and to sort of silence the inner critic. So I really love gratitude as a mindset tool. Wow. That's, you know what? I never saw it the way. 
And that's such a beautiful way to, like you said, mindset shift the way you look at things, right? And how you can turn a negative into a positive very yeah. easily and feel good about it. Right. Without all the fakeness around it. Yeah. There's so much, I think the term that is popular now is called toxic positivity, right? Yes. You, you sort of pretend that everything's cool. And that's not what it's about. Like what I try and do is I, I really try and find areas where we can connect and and reframe in a way that's believable, right? Because if it's not believable, you're never going to feel invested in the change. You have to actually find one grain of truth, even if most of it is BS or you think, okay, that's not true yet, right? If you can have one piece of truth to hold on to as you're journeying to the next step, it's going to help you get there because if you don't have something authentic to connect to, you're going to stop working on whatever it is you're trying to work towards. I mean, the example you gave, I mean, there's so much truth in it, right? But if you look at it from the other angle where everyone starts is hating the body because you gained a few pounds or you can't walk 10 kilometers, you can only do five kilometers. Nothing's going to feel like the truth. But if you shift it, then you're like, well, you know what? It is true that I can do this, this, and this, so I can be grateful for it. So there, there is no BS in that. There is just a shift in perspective. All of a sudden is I can be grateful for these things while still acknowledging that, I, that in the future it can be better, but I have to put the work in to get to that point. But first it starts with acknowledging what you have, I would imagine, and then putting the work in to get where you want to go. Yeah. This has been such a beautiful conversation so far, Jill. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to kind of switch direction slightly. I want to ask you two, two questions that I like to ask my guests and see how, how you respond. There is no right or wrong answer. So anything goes. And they have to do with time travel. So let's say you could go back in time 10 years. Okay. And you get to meet your younger self, but you can only give yourself one piece of advice. What would it be? To, to go with your gut, to trust your intuition, right? For me, 10 years ago, if I had known that I had the power or the, the right or that I was worthy enough to act on what I thought I should do rather than what I felt I should do or what was expected of me, I would have been able to start this journey of growth so much sooner because it's only recently that I've been able to really look at my life and say, what do, what do I want and why am I not doing that thing? Right? Yes. And yes. taking other people out of the equation, other people's opinions out of the equation. Of course, everything I'm going to do is for my highest good and the highest good of my family and my community. I'm not ever doing something to harm or hurt or injure anyone else. That's, I don't think any of us are built that way. I think that it's okay to do things, you know, to follow your dreams or to do things in a way that feels right for you and to say no to things that aren't in alignment with how you want your life to be and to be able to recognize that it's okay to change your mind through the process. Yes. So it's kind of big answer, but all those things to oh, me are relatable that's... to each other. That's an amazing answer, actually. I, I, I can relate to all the points you mentioned there and I can see the value in each of them. And can you imagine the impact you can have now in your kids' life and the people you work with because you can give them those things that you wanted someone to give you when you were younger. And that's where I'm coming from as well. It's the idea that let's make the journey slightly easier for those that you know will listen to us. And even though we have no control over where the journey will go, we can have a, a, a small influence, right? Either be inspiring influence, empowering influence, guiding, supporting, whatever the case might be. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a message that I would want delivered as well. So now if we continue that idea of time travel, now we go into the future, right? 10 years <laughs> and you meet your future self. You, you've seen all the amazing work you've done in the last 10 years, all the lives you've impacted from mothers to fathers to children, yours and theirs and, and so on and so forth. And you get to sit down with your older self for 15 minutes. What's one piece of insight or advice you'd want to bring back to the present from all the beautiful things you're seeing? Oh my God, what a great question. I got to take a minute and just let that sink in. 10 years from now, I would, I think the insight that I would most like to ask my future self is how do you, how do you accept the slowness of the journey in that time has its own agenda, right? And even if we do the work, we might not see, as we were talking about earlier, the results we're looking for right away. Things might not happen on our own, on our timeline that we've set up arbitrarily for ourselves. Our goals might not happen in the exact order or the exact way that we wanted them to. And so how to trust in the process without getting frustrated because I really believe that there is, you know, if something doesn't work out for you, it's because something better is meant for you. And so how do we be okay with that journey and that if the journey doesn't look like what you're expecting it to? Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's a good lesson for all of us to, to think about, right? Because sometimes we want things to, no, sometimes I think it's often we want things to go faster than they will or than they should. And then we try to force things and then mistakes happen or it takes us on a completely different path. So how can we take a step back and then look at, okay, let's, let's breathe, let's enjoy the moment and maybe do a quick recap of how far we've come, see what things we can still learn and we can apply and then move on, on the journey. And I think learning from someone, like if you could ever meet your future self, I think that would be a great question because it's like, oh, how did you do it? How did you keep the faith to get to this level and then still be happy. Right. Yes, I like it a lot. Now, before we conclude today, do you, is there anything else you'd like to, to share with the audience? Anything, any other topic that's dear to your heart that we haven't touched on? I mean, the message I think that just wants to come through now is just to be yourself. And I think I see a lot of people dimming their light, their metaphorical light, or mm-hmm. making themselves small to make more other people comfortable or to people please those tendencies. And I just want to give everyone sort of permission from this girl on the internet to just let go of that and just really be you because the world needs you as you are. You're not helping anybody or anything by trying to live in a way that you that you think that others want you to be. So just be you. That's it. Yes. Yes, Jill. Yes, 100%. And, you know, audience, you've heard that Jill gave you permission, so there's no excuses now, right? You got to go and got to go and do it. And before we depart here, I want to thank you for your time. I, like you said earlier as well, I've learned so much from having this conversation with you. And I know the audience will as well. If someone wants to learn more about you or talk to you, where can they find you? Oh, thank you. Well, I am on social media, of course, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm I'm starting. I don't know if I'll always be there, but I'm trying. The handle for all of those is Grow Like a Mother. That's also the name of the podcast. So you can find that on 
Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Audible, wherever you can get podcasts. And my website has a lot of really great free resources as well. So if you're interested, I know when people are hear someone there, they're motivated by there's, you know, one of two camps. They're either like, oh, I'll follow along and and just sort of have that passively into my life by following on social media, something like that, listening to a podcast. But if you're someone who's in the other camp that feels called to start to make action, my website, livingwithheart.ca is a great place to go. There's many free resources that you can get started in learning more about whatever particular area you want to grow in. Well, thank you, Jill. And I guess before I let you go, I know you mentioned you have a book coming up. Do you want to share anything on the on the book? Yes, thank you. That is right now, that is my my passion project. It is my goal to have it released this year. So I am so excited about it. I don't have a particular date yet, but the I will be sharing, of course, when I do release it on all of the social platforms. That's the best place to stay up to date with that. But the idea is that it's a, a bit of a personal handbook. So we go through, it's not a book that you pick up and, and read through the whole, you know, whole book and then you're done. It's meant to sit on the coffee table or the bedside table and pick up, open to a page, get some wisdom, get some inspiration in short bite-sized bits and put it away and then come back to it and sort of work through it slowly. So it's, it's very much an experiential kind of book, just full of wisdom and inspiration and quotes and affirmations and things like that. So I'm really excited to bring that into the world. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jill. This has been an amazing conversation. And until next time, well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us today. To find out more amazing content and episodes, please visit UnleashThyself.com or you can find us on social media.